Hi, I'm Cameron. And I'm Dominique. We both work for Starting Right Now, also known as SRN. A lot of times, homeless youth are spoken for. Often, people assume what homeless youth would need, and I want homeless youth to be able to speak for themselves. We're getting ready to blow up the best kept secret, beautiful unaccompanied youth. On this episode of Raising Me, we're talking with Mel. And someone saw my leg and how horrifying it probably looked. Did you expect people to notice? No. No? No. Why not? Um, I don't know when other people in your life that are supposed to notice don't notice, why would a stranger notice? Mm. It may have hurt, but it made me who I am today. Trials and tribulations us to celebrate Cause I'm starting right now I'm starting right now We're here with Mel. Hi! You were one of my first students I ever heard advocate about their stories. And I remember feeling, because by the time I met you, you were in college. You were like this whole healthy, yes. happy being. And <laughs> I remember you. looking over to one of our old staff members and thinking, what the hell did I just get into? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> because I'd heard two other kids talk and then I heard her talk. And at this point, my interaction with the students like explain were like, how they got into starting right now. Yeah, like what really was happening mm -hmm. in their backstories. Because at this point, working with the kids my first year, it was like in the beginning, very surface level, you know, like you hear a little bit. But Mel told her story very linearly. And so I could hear the start point from what happened until she got to SRN and then her journey through her high school. And so I'd never heard someone speak like that before. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I making was... my heart full. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you for remembering. Yes. That means a lot when people say that they rem remember what you were talking about. Or... Yeah, as I'm like, what are all these other parts of your story? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's a lot. So when did you join it, starting right now? Uh, I'll never forget. It was February 2014. It was my senior year of high school. And um, do you want to know how? Well, sure. yes. <laughs> but why? I mean, you know the specific month. Mm -hmm. You're very clear about that. Yeah. Why is that an important date to know? I think, wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think it was just the first time that I had ever been advocated for. Mm. I had never had anybody really advocate on my behalf and kind of care about my well-being. And then all of a sudden, in the month of February, I had so many different safe adults want to help me. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's very powerful and very overwhelming. So I just, I'll never forget it. It was kind of just etched in my memory. And so it was February 2014, is that what you said? Yes. And so you've been in the program for more than five years? Mm -hmm. Almost six years. Almost six years. It seems like so much longer. Right? It feels like 10 years. <laughs> I feel like I'm a seasoned veteran. <laughs> well, you are. <laughs> yeah, really, you are. Um, so Do you yeah. want to tell us what high school you graduated from? Yeah, I went to Sickles High School, um, and I loved my high school very much. I was one of their, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I was their first homeless youth at Sickles, so it was a little bit difficult being the first one. The first ever or just the first that they've helped get into starting right now? The first that they helped get into starting right now. Okay. I was like, what? Well, not, of course not the first ever. <laughs> I'm sure well, there's been so many that have been unaccounted for, um, but... 
definitely the first interaction that starting right now had with Sickles High School. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good point to bring up because when starting right now first started, um, it was hard for all of us to be able to figure out how best to identify the students um, that actually needed the resources. Mm -hmm. And so when you say that you were the first at Sickles um, that was in starting right now, yeah, I imagine that you were probably not the first homeless unaccompanied youth, but the first one that was advocated for. Yeah, the first one that someone noticed. And And it was something visible, so it was hard for them not to notice. But if someone didn't have any physical, visible warning signs, I mean, you wouldn't be able to know at all. Can you explain to me what do you mean when you say it was something visible? Um, At the time, I had been living um, in what they call like a trap house. So uh, I had been living with a bunch of people and there was always drugs and there was Mm -hmm. always drinking and I never went to school. And I'll always remember that the floors were sticky because of all the alcohol all the time. And I was still in high school. Mm -hmm. And I shared a bed with somebody and a toothbrush and their clothes and a pillow. And um, because I shared a bed with them, uh, the house was infested with fleas. Mm. And I had just gotten a tattoo at the time. And I don't know what happened, but because there were so many fleas in the bed, they kind of were just drawn to my leg. And I got, I mean, at least 20 flea bites, but they were all infected. Um, And they turned into these big like pussy, oozy golf balls. And I couldn't walk for a while, but eventually I had to go back to school. So I couldn't put anything on my leg either, so I couldn't wear pants because it was too painful. Mm-hmm. So I was walking around in shorts, and someone saw my leg and how horrifying it probably looked. Did you expect people to notice? No. No? No. Why not? Um, I don't know when... Other people in your life that are supposed to notice don't notice. Why would a stranger notice? Mm. Yeah. That is very insightful. And you said in explaining the trap house that you often did not go to school, but then you said eventually you had to go back to school. Yeah, I had missed about a semester at one point, and I was working, and I knew I wanted to graduate. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you just continue to work and figure out some other alternative for school. Like, What made you think, I have to go back now, this is the point? Yeah. Uh, the breakfast. My school had free breakfast. Mm. So you're going to school to eat? Yeah, and then I would go home. Yeah. After you had breakfast? Mm-hmm. And I'd take extra breakfast with me. How were you getting to school? I'm just curious. Uh, it was either rides or sometimes I would stay in my car, so I had my car and I was able to go to school. Um, especially when things would happen at the house and I needed to be away, then I would be in my car. And I remember having a water bottle for, it was my spit water bottle and then my regular water bottle so I could brush my teeth before school Mm. Um, because I had my stuff in there. But if I was able to take my car, then I would take it. And then when I didn't have a car anymore, uh, something happened to it. I think it was a mechanical issue. I would just have to find rides. And if I didn't have one, I just wasn't going to go to school that day. I think this is important to note. Um, and this is something that I'm aware of because I do know a lot of homeless youth through starting right now and have heard your stories. But you are saying that, um, I mean, free breakfast and lunch at school was essential because that's how you ate, correct? Yeah. The school 
had like automatically had the free breakfast, but I didn't have free and reduced lunch. I came from a nice family mm -hmm. and I wasn't qualified. Um, so I couldn't get the free. Okay, but you're going to have to explain yeah, that. Yeah, you really <laughs> rewind now. So, be because like, you're what? living in a trap house, but you have a nice family. Well, when you're registered within the school system, they need to see your parents' income to get free and reduced lunch, mm -hmm. right? So they have to, your parents have to sign or your guardians have to sign specific paperwork. But I didn't really have that opportunity to have a guardian sign off on paperwork because I was living in the place that I was living. So it's not like I could suddenly just go home, knock on the door, and have someone fill out a paper for me that says I'm entitled to free lunch. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that opportunity, so I could only rely on the breakfast. And whatever my roommates had for me that was extra, I mean, sometimes if there was leftover pizza, I'll remember I used to, uh, so vividly, the when I would open the box, the roaches would kind of mm -hmm. run off. But if that was all I had, that was all I could eat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, thank goodness for this breakfast because that's what led to someone, I'm assuming, singing these welts. It almost sounds like on your leg. I want to say this real quick. Yeah. Though. Because of Starting Right Now's advocacy now, if you are an unaccompanied youth, you are Correct. entitled to a free and reduced lunch. I got the free and reduced lunch after I got into Starting Right Now. So after I was in the program, then I got my lunch and I was very, very excited. <laughs> That's because you were coded appropriately by your social worker. My, my point yes. is I just want people to know, if even if you're not in Starting Right Now, mm -hmm. if you are a homeless unaccompanied youth and are coded correctly, you have access to free and reduced lunch, even Correct. if you don't have a parent to sign off on it. That's incredible. Yeah, so that people don't have to yeah, endure what you went through. I had no idea. Um, and they don't tell you that at school. I mean, there's no I think a lot of people don't know. meeting I mean, that says, you know, if you're struggling or if this is what you're going through, these are your resources to help. Mm -hmm. I don't think people even realize that there is such a thing as an unaccompanied youth. Like the thought yeah. of you being in high school alone. I mean, I think there's an assumption that they're with someone. Like yeah. you may not be with your parent, but you're with some form of an adult who can take care of you. Yeah, that's what people assume. And then again, how how can you assume just by looking at someone. I mean, granted, there are some signs like I was talking about my leg. That's mm -hmm. a huge red flag. Or if someone's coming in with the same clothes or if they're sleeping in class. Mm -hmm. But those could also be signs of so many other things at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you never really know unless you can establish that safe space with a student. And if that student doesn't have a safe person to go to or they don't feel comfortable talking to someone, how is someone going to find out when there's no safe space established for them to be open and to trust an adult, especially when they've lived their lives not trusting adults anymore because mm -hmm. of what they're going through. Yeah, with valid reason to not trust right. certain people. Exactly. So how are you supposed to trust a stranger? Okay, I want to come back to Safe Place because we've been talking about that a lot with different students, but can you help us understand the dynamic between your family and you living in this unlivable place? Because you said you come from a nice family, mm -hmm. but we're hearing that you were living in this... Trap yeah, trap house. Yeah. Um, I did grow up with a really nice family, and I was very fortunate. And mm -hmm. I had um, a dad who made good money. My mom was so, so hardworking. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always remember her working so hard. And we did grow up fairly wealthy and at least comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then when we moved down here from Canada, because I'm Canadian, after we moved down here, life was still nice, but I could tell... My family unit just never really had this super healthy relationship mm -hmm. where that communication was open and honest and respectful. And 
I think there was a lack of equality in the household and there was a lack of respect in the household. And that caused some really intense issues between my parents. So after they got divorced, it was just kind of, I don't know, I felt like worthless. Mm. I was just kind of this package that got tossed around and was put in the middle. So you were I don't tossed know around can... between parents? Yeah. Okay. It was tossed around between parents and... Um, that was obviously stressful on everybody, and just going through a divorce in general is really difficult for someone to handle. And then I found out that I was illegal, and I had to go home to get a green card, mm-hmm. and I did not know that. And You were in the U.S. illegally, and you had to go back to Canada? Yes. Okay. How I'm, old are you at this point? I was 14. Okay. And I had moved here when I was 7. Wow. Yeah. So when I went to Canada, there was some issues with the paperwork and my specific story. So it took a little while for my papers to actually process. Mm -hmm. And then I was just kind of alone. And I went to different family members' homes and I was kind of bouncing around for a little bit. But why is that? So did a parent bring you to Canada and say, let's go to this place and fill out some paperwork? Yeah, and then they left. Okay. And they left me with a different family member due to the divorce and other legalities. Um, Unfortunately, I couldn't stay with a direct family member anymore. And I was kind of staying in different places and I felt like I was on my own. And granted, there was someone there, but the people I wanted to be there weren't there. Mm. Um, And just due to the nature of this day, it was hard to get as much support as I needed. And then um, I did end up staying with someone who completely took advantage of how young I was and the position that I was in. Sorry. That's okay. Do you want to talk about that? I'm asking genuinely, do you want to talk about that? I'm trying to figure it out. I just haven't told this story in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Due to localities and um, just certain tensions in the family, I had to stay with someone who wasn't immediate family and who did take advantage of the fact that I was young. And um, I did think that this person really cared for me and wanted me to be safe and wanted me to feel loved because I'm sure they could tell that I was really vulnerable and I wasn't feeling very wanted. Mm-hmm. Was it someone, it was someone that you already knew. It was not like a complete stranger, right? Yeah, he had known me since I was born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a common thing that, um, I mean, my understanding is, or what I see in media is this representation of a predator who is this like stranger in the neighborhood. Right, this creepy person mm-hmm. with this like, who's yeah. obviously this hideous human that everyone yeah. keeps away from. But it's someone you know. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because now like with more education, especially on trauma and just violence in general, there's like this layering effect. When they first start, over time you kind of don't see it anymore. And you can't even recognize that something's happening. Because at first, you know, something happens and or they make a move or they touch you somewhere mm-hmm. or they make a comment and there's a red flag that goes off in your head. But the more that it happens and the more they manipulate your emotions, 
the less of an issue you can see. Mm-hmm. So then at one point, at first he started every once in a while just making comments or giving me compliments. And then by the end, before I could even recognize what was happening, I mean, he was in my bed every morning kissing me on the forehead and watching me undress. Oh. And I just, it was almost confusing because the way he would do everything made it seem like I was something like so precious and valuable. Mm-hmm. And I was so convinced like this person isn't a predator. This person isn't malicious with their intent, but they're so good at it. That's what they want you to feel. Mm-hmm. And also what's particular about your situation is that, I mean, did you even have an alternative place to go? You were staying there. No. Um, one day I finally convinced him to let me go to someone's house to see a family member. Um, so you weren't allowed to leave? He didn't really take me anywhere. Were you going to school? No, I had to get pulled out of school while I was gone because I was gone for so long. So I failed that year. Okay. Um, But he finally let me go somewhere one day. And as soon as he left, I told the family member everything that had happened Mm -hmm. and just pleaded for help. May I ask how long was this going on for? Maybe just a few weeks. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the entirety from when I was there. it was just the aftermath of it all mm-hmm. that made it even worse. It started a lot of issues and a lot, so much tension and so much anger in my family and people got divided and people got frustrated and it almost makes you feel bad that you caused something, but it's important to know when someone does something to you that it's never your fault. Mm-hmm. Someone made that choice very specifically to get power over you, to get control over you. But sometimes it's hard when you go through these things and you think people are supposed to care and you just can't help but feel guilty and you can't help but blame yourself. I mean, you were 14 and alone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that, that you know the the difference. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can understand why you would feel guilty, but Mm -hmm. I want to say very clearly that, yeah, that was not your fault. That was was decisions he made to be inappropriate. Those were not your decisions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now I know, now that I'm older and now that I've been able to go to therapy like through the program and been able to have a platform for my story I know that now mm-hmm. it's just at the time it's hard yeah so when I came home there was I mean it was a nightmare home being where back to the United States after okay. I did obtain a green card which I'm very proud of <laughs> um, it was just I was miserable I and were you with anyone? Yeah, who were you staying with? When, um, you when I came home, I was with a family member, uh, but due to other legal circumstances, someone that I was previously living with had to leave um, in order to avoid getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Should, we, should we just say that people, were ma- people in your family were making decisions, not you, Yeah. but they were making decisions which kept displacing people and were purposely being vague because it's not your story. That's not your story. That's theirs. Yeah. Although you were, you had consequences because of it. Yes. So due to the actions of other <laughs> people, especially when I was so young, I mean, I was a minor, I was a kid, mm-hmm. it ended up putting me in certain situations and I was affected by certain decisions they had made. Like they are physical. living with their consequences. Mm-hmm. Where are you? And I am home in Florida, but I just couldn't stay where I was staying anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I just constantly felt like, 
no one would ever believe me and my story mm-hmm. and no one would ever just care. You know, when people are also going through trauma and people also have their own lives and you're witnessing it, sometimes you can't help but feel less than. So then I had the opportunity to kind of be out on my own, and what I mean on my own, in this trap house. And So how old are you now? Just so I can now I'm about to be 17. Okay. And You're saying now in the story. Now in the story. Yeah, yeah. now not in the story right I'm now. about to be 17. <laughs> um, I had a family member really tell me that it was the best move for me to be out on my own, which now I know was not true whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were really pushing for that. But I think it was just to not accept responsibility, the responsibility of having a child and mm-hmm. having to take care of someone, especially when they were already dealing with their own consequences of the choices that they had made in life that could potentially get them in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think they were ready to be a parent. So did, did you- a friend invite you to this trap house? Did you stumble yeah, upon I it? went to a party one night and I met her and I had no idea who she was, and I just told her I didn't really have a place to live. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, you can live with me. And then she gave me the key to her house the next day, and then she just helped me with everything. And I think that's why I stayed for so long, because I don't think I realized that I was in danger mm-hmm. at all. I mean, she was so loving. She really did save me. I mean, she gave me a bed, and she gave me clothes. She gave me food when she could. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was sharing a bed, and I was sharing a toothbrush, or saying sharing someone's clothes. Mm-hmm. The bed had and fleas in it. in a dangerous it. environment. It was in a super dangerous mm-hmm. environment. Do you have um, an understanding or explanation for um, how you went from what you describe as a nice family, which is relative, but mm-hmm. a nice family to being alone? Like, is there a reason that happens? Yeah, I think um, just family violence in general, whether it's emotional, whether it's legal, whether it's verbal, whether it's physical. I feel like youth are leaving because they need to leave. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone wants to be in the position that we've been in. I think we have to leave because something's going on at home and our only choice is to leave because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen to you. And it's almost scarier to stay in that situation than be out on your own because mm-hmm. if you're out on your own the way I saw it is okay if I'm out on my own I think I'll have more control and I, th- I think I'll be able to do it because then it'll be on me and it won't be on somebody else anymore but that's not true unfortunately I mean, there's probably a truth to it but also you're a child who's alone and no one does it alone but especially not as a young person no I think you just get convinced that whatever's out there is better than whatever's inside. And whatever's happening inside with people that you wouldn't expect it to happen with mm-hmm. hurts way more than what could hurt happen on the outside. And it's interesting because it just like comes full circle. You know, we're leaving for this, I mean, some youth leave because of what's going on at home. And then you go out, and then it happens in tenfold, and it keeps happening, and it happens even more, and the violence doesn't end. Mm-hmm. I can't stand up and say, like, I was never sexually assaulted again, or I was never abused again. And if anything, I feel like I was more at risk 
being out on my own. Mm -hmm. And then I did things I wasn't proud of. And I was so vulnerable to at-risk behaviors and situations. And I'm terrified to think like where I would have ended up if I didn't have the program. Mm -hmm. So you said at-risk behaviors, which is a term we, we, are, we use a lot. Um, to refer to at-risk youth mm -hmm. as a society, we as use a society, term. and mm -hmm. particularly, um, I write a lot of grants to fundraise for starting right now, and um, you know, a lot of the vocabulary they use describes serving at-risk youth. Mm -hmm. um, and I was recently talking to a student in starting right now. She was interviewing me for a class, and, um, and we were talking about the work I do, and I was explaining how I fundraise and the vocabulary I use, which works better. And I talked about at-risk youth, and she said. Um, you know, I, I keep hearing that, that we're described as at-risk youth, at-risk youth. And I think to myself, I'm at risk of what? And it was the first time I really realized that, yeah, it's kind of not an appropriate term because really what is happening is that the students aren't risk, are not at risk of anything. The system is at risk of failing them. Absolutely. That's a really comforting way to hear it be put because it's not our fault. Not it's not all. on us. It's this lack of safe space, it's this lack of resources that are spoken about. I mean, I had no idea starting right now existed. Mm -hmm. Even working in the field that I work in now, I had no idea these resources were out there. Mm -hmm. No one talks about how you can call a crisis hotline or if you're alone when you're a youth, you can get into a program and people will care and people will help you and they'll empower you. Okay, so let's talk about that. So you, someone, you get to school one day, you have infected flea bites. Mm -hmm. Someone notices. Who is that? It was um, someone who volunteered in the front, actually. And then... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she was this woman who volunteered up front. She knew me because she was trying to convince me to take the SATs. And I told her I would never take the SATs. <laughs> I wasn't going to go to college. I refused to take the SATs. It just sounds so, I mean, that's so silly. It doesn't sound silly. It is silly that this person who doesn't know is so like, yeah. you need to take the Do SATs, uh -huh. take the standardized these, these steps. Uh -huh. She has no idea what you're dealing with. And I said no. And I just laughed. And I was like, there's no way I'm taking these SATs. I'm working almost every single day. Mm -hmm. I'm barely getting here. I mean, I didn't tell her that. But Did then, you know her well? Barely. Okay. She would. She was one of those recruiters for the SATs, mm -hmm. <laughs> she, but she was persistent, and I don't know why she was caring about me so much. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just when I said no, and she was like, "Why isn't someone going to take the SATs?" Mm -hmm. But she tried to get me back down one day to talk about these SATs, and then she saw me limping when I was coming in, and she was obviously really concerned. And she then went to my guidance counselor at the time. I was still keep in contact with. Um, and she knew of starting right now and mm -hmm. referred me immediately. Did the volunteer ask you, like, what's wrong? Or did she just see it and report to the guidance counselor? She saw it and reported it to the guidance counselor. And then they both kind of sat with me and mm -hmm. just asked me what happened. And I opened up about everything. Mm -hmm. I think I finally broke down. I was so tired. Had people asked you about your situation before? No. No. And did you want them to? Were you, like, waiting for someone? Yeah. Yes. Mm. Did you have a relationship with your guidance counselor prior to her pulling you into this room? Oh, yeah. Okay. She used to write me the passes to get the breakfast. That's funny. 
Okay, this is all we've been talking about. <laughs> well, I mean, um, yeah, we've been talking to students and they keep saying one of the common themes is that the person that eventually knew the most about their story and referred them to starting right now also was someone who for a significant amount of time before that was giving them food. Or yeah. just these small gestures in general that seem to the student like, oh, this person's just doing something kind for me that ends mm -hmm. up leading to... Intimacy or like yeah. trust. Yeah, she definitely helped me with food. And then I would eat in her office mm -hmm. and she would write me a pass to go back to class because I didn't want to swallow it whole in class because sometimes they don't let you eat in the morning. They mm -hmm. want you to eat right at breakfast. So she used to let me eat it in her class and she would let me take my time and then she'd write me a pass and then I could go back. But I would leave. Right. And <laughs> you would go. But I would leave. It was a routine we had. Did she know you were leaving? Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My mom is shaking her head. She knew. Um, but she never denied you when she could have said, well, if you don't go to class, I'm not going to do this for you. No, never. Mm -hmm. She just, she was very empowering about the whole situation. I felt so powerless and I felt so alone and I felt so exhausted and so tired. Mm -hmm. But with her, she just let me make my decisions. She never tried to steer me in one direction or another. She just wanted to make sure I was fed. Mm -hmm. And if I needed a moment, I could have a moment and I could have that space. And you still keep in touch with her? Yeah. We recently were just speaking over email, and I told her about my career. And she had the same nickname. She called me Sweet Little Girl. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, my sweet little girl. You know, I'm so happy to hear. She, she's always been the same. Like, what is it like hearing from her, the person who is a part of this big change in your life, still calling you Sweet Little Girl? That's what warms my heart. Mm -hmm. I think that's what, like, was missing from my heart for so long. And that's what I wanted through other people, but just didn't really get. Mm -hmm. So to be able to get it from someone who cared so much and it was so unconditional, she didn't have to do any of those things. Mm -hmm. She could have made me go to class. She could have not written me a pass. She could have disciplined you. Yeah. But she never did. Mm -hmm. When they are suggesting starting right now, what are you thinking? I didn't want to do it. <laughs> I was not a fan. Mm-hmm. Because at the same time, I was talking about earlier, like I felt like whatever was happening inside my home was scarier than what could happen to me outside of my home. Mm -hmm. And having some structure, like starting right now, though that's all I really wanted was structure, sounded terrifying because then I wasn't in control anymore. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't think my situation was all that dangerous because I had con I had people around me constantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I may have not, I definitely was not doing the healthiest things in the world, but I didn't realize that I was in danger. So what made you change your mind to join the program? I don't know. I think it was just, I don't think it was anything about changing my mind as far as my goals and my hopes and my dreams. Mm -hmm. I think it was just that I needed to find out why someone cared so much about me. What are you thinking when you're being interviewed by all these starting right now people? I was really nervous. It was it was really nerve wracking. It's like, honestly, from my end, it was like, okay, how do I convince someone I matter? Mm. Mm. How do I convince someone to give me a chance when no one else gives me a chance? So what's going to make this time different? Are, is this person going to be every different or any different? Or are mm. they going to disappoint me or turn their back on me like most people have? So then it was just discouraging. So then I just didn't care. But you shared anyway. 
I shared anyway, yeah. But afterwards, I didn't felt like I cared because mm-hmm. I thought I was. I thought I knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's probably easier to not care than to risk getting excited and then being right. disappointed. It's easier to think Absolutely. I'm going to be rejected, and that's just what it is. When you already feel rejected and mm-hmm. you feel like you're not worth it, then yeah, it is a lot easier to keep yourself in that mindset. Mm-hmm. And so then February 2014 happens, and you mm-hmm. enter starting right now. Do you remember anything about your first day? You move into the house. Do you live in the house or apartments? She lived in the house. house. Oh, you live in the house. Okay. She was a student of the first class in mm-hmm. Haven Poe, the Poe. housing facility. Okay. Yeah. So I walked in and I thought the place was gorgeous and I was like, this is too nice for me. And <laughs> 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 already felt like I don't belong here. Uh-huh. But then I had the sweetest, can I say her name? Mm-hmm. Trisha came up to me and this sweet little bee little honeybee and just waltzed right up and she like flipped my hair and she said your hair is red are you new and I was like yeah I'm new like what's it to you <laughs> uh-huh. and she just wanted to be my friend right away she was a student mm-hmm. she was a student and she lived in the room next to me and I hated the program and I wanted to leave immediately and I was not okay with it at all and for some reason I really connected with Trisha and I started, even though I had my own bed, mm-hmm. I would purposely sleep in Trisha's bed with her. I couldn't sleep without her. I think I had been so used to sharing a bed with someone for mm-hmm. so long, too, that being on my own was a little scary, but she didn't care. She gave me my own little blanket, and we just shared a bed. I started to feel better, and then I got a mentor, and I was not happy <laughs> at all. I just didn't expect it, and I thought, okay, here comes another person that's, that says that they're going to care. Mm-hmm. Are they really going to care? Or are they just here because it makes them feel better? Mm -hmm. And then we met up and I was on my phone when she first talked to me and I just wasn't paying any attention to her. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I really want to talk to you. I wish you would get off your phone. Mm. And then I never picked up my phone ever again after that. I never did. Is she still in your life? Absolutely. We talk all the time. She is like my guardian angel. What made the difference that you expected her to be something and then at what point are you willing to really give her a chance? Well, she wasn't stuffy. She just cared. And how do you know that? Because people can say, I care about you. But how do you know? I think it's because no matter what happened or no matter what decision I ever made or what I was going through, if I called her and just said, like, I need you, mm-hmm. she would be there. Mm-hmm. And it was more than just... I'm going to spend time with you and guide you. It was, I want to spend time with you and I want to guide you and I want to hold your hand while I'm guiding you. Mm -hmm. But I also want you to be able to make your own decisions. I'll support you. I will call you out when you need to be called out. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would try to leave all the time. I was constantly trying to leave the program because I was just so terrified. I was so, so scared of what was going to happen. And we were talking about going to college I never thought about going to college, and all of a sudden it was right around the corner. Well, you I was, weren't taking SATs. So. <laughs> I wasn't taking SATs, so I was so scared, and I was constantly trying to leave because at the same time it was almost like this guilt that I had in my heart. Like, why do I get to be here? Mm-hmm. I keep hearing you say over and over in my head that I wasn't worthy of being here. Yeah, it was, so all these good things keep happening. Keep thinking, mm-hmm. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I really didn't feel worthy, and Were it was you almost like a guilt. Did you get yourself kicked out? Or was it just I could have. <laughs> I could have. I definitely did. I should have. I didn't. All of prom night, 
I stayed out. What? You have curfew. Yeah, well, I had curfew, but I definitely didn't go back home. <laughs> Did you get in trouble? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it worth it? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't worth it. And then there was another time I missed curfew, and I didn't get in trouble then. Thanks, Vicky. Really saved, <laughs> saved me on that one. And then I was so just... So she didn't kick you out after making a mistake? No. You said when you first got there that you did not like the program. You were not about it, despite meeting Trisha, who maybe convinced you to stay longer. But what was it about it that you were like, no, this ain't it? Well, all in all... I loved the program. I never hated it. Mm-hmm. And I would just act like I hated it. But it was really just because I was terrified of it not working out. Mm. Imagine not... Or maybe terrified also of it working, of it working out. Of mm-hmm. it working out at the same time. Imagine not having anything. And then suddenly you can walk into a kitchen and eat something. Mm-hmm. And I had my own toothbrush. And I had a pillow. And it was my pillow. Mm-hmm. I had my own pillow. Can you talk about your pillow for a minute? Because I know that your pillow is important to you. Yeah. Yeah. I kept that pillow and the one that I had from the trap house for years. For years. Because I refused to throw them away. Mm-hmm. Those were like my first... It was like my last pillow and my first pillow. Mm-hmm. You know? And I was... My pillow was the only thing that, like, made me feel like everything was okay because it was mine. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. Was there a moment where you, like, fi- it finally clicked to you, like, that you were worth all of this goodness and these good things happening to you in your life? Yeah, we had to do this Dale Carnegie class, and we were learning about public speaking, and everyone would go up and tell their story and really connect and... I would just get up and cry every single time. Mm-hmm. I was just so terrified of everything about the program. Like, I thought everything was going to get ripped from underneath me or everything was going to be so good that I didn't deserve it. And these are the things that go through your head, but I was doing this Dale Carnegie class and I got up and I told like my whole story and I'm crying and I'm pushing through and I'm, because I'm so emotional. I'm, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And then afterwards, everyone gave me a hug. Mm. And Vicky was like, I'm so proud of you. Mm. And, like, it was a lot to have someone be proud of you when you've overcome something that was so intense. Like, the amount of unconditional support I felt in that moment, Mm -hmm. I knew that I could do the program. And I knew that these people aren't going away. Mm -hmm. These people aren't here to tell me I can do something when I can't. These people are here to lift me up and... Show me that I am totally worthy of every single thing that happens from this program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's something very powerful, and this is certainly true in my own life for me and my experience. Um, There's something very powerful with standing up and speaking your truth, whatever that is, saying Mm -hmm. this is the realest version of me, and the people around you saying, okay. And they just accept it. They just do. And I had never just had that much acceptance before. And that many people in the room just sitting there saying, like, yeah, I'm rooting for you. And I'm totally on your side. Mm-hmm. Why are you crying right now? Because that's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, like, my greatest thing. I just love when a student, like, finally feels proud of themselves and know that, like, there's people around them who are like, yeah, man, yeah. we're proud of you. You did that. I felt so empty for so long and just, like, so broken and tired. And then so all dramatic. of a sudden I, like my heart just felt so warm and I felt so full. Mm -hmm. And I finally felt like whole and cared for and cherished. 
um, once again, I can speak from my own experience, but I would imagine, imagine this is a universal feeling, but like the energy and attention it takes to create a version of yourself that mm -hmm. is acceptable to conform and contort yourself in ways that make other people comfortable, that takes so much time and energy. It sure does. And to be released from that mm -hmm. is such a gift. Mm -hmm. I can just show up. Yeah. And at the same time, during the interview, you know, I'm like, okay, I have to make sure this person knows that I matter. But really, the whole time, the person sitting across from you already knew that you mattered. Mm -hmm. I just, like, couldn't see it right away. No, I'm going to cry. That is powerful. <laughs> Do you want to tell us um, where you graduated from? What happened after yeah. high school? So, actually, thanks, Vicki. I was able to get... Um, an internship when I went to USF. I graduated last year from Woo! USF with my bachelor's. <laughs> <laughs> and I took the SAT. <laughs> I didn't do very well, but I still got in. <laughs> Wait, when you sat down to take the SATs, did you have a thought about how you had denied it? Did that ever occur to you? Um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot. <laughs> like, if worse comes to worse. I mean, worse, the SATs really what brought you to starting right now. Yeah, so. thank you, SATs, y'all. <laughs> if you're listening out there, then take your SATs <laughs> and study, because I didn't do so hot. But, uh, yeah, I graduated from USF, and one of my last semesters, um, I majored in sociology and mm -hmm. women's and gender studies. Mm -hmm. And one of my last semesters... Thank you, Vicki. I was able to get an internship at a domestic violence agency. And that was something that was really important to me. Mm -hmm. Just violence as a whole, especially surviving violence and seeing the people I love and care about, especially the people that I was living with, also be survivors. Mm -hmm. um, it was really important to me to study it and to get involved. And I got this great internship because of Vicki. And after a while, um, a position opened up in the exact same department that I was interning in, mm -hmm. and I just kind of slid all the way up in there, <laughs> just <Nice. laughs> made it mine, and I've been there ever since, but my job is really cool because I do prevention, domestic mm -hmm. violence prevention, so teen dating violence, and I get to talk to youth about healthy dating relationships and having those safe spaces and knowing like the safe people that you can talk to and knowing your resources, which is kind of what I needed, you know, not mm -hmm. necessarily with dating violence, but just resources in general. Having someone come in and saying, you're not alone. Like people are making choices against you and mm -hmm. that's not your fault. So it ended up be, it ended up being a really cool job to have and it all kind of came full circle because with this violence, you know, youth do run away from home. And mm -hmm. then when they have run away from home and they've seen violence or witnessed violence, the more there's a correlation, they're more likely to be victims or survivors later on in life or perpetrators or have these at-risk behaviors when really it's not at risk. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's that failing system. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was so connected. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, we're all working together just to create a safe space for youth, for teens, for kids. Right. At the end of the day, that's what's most important. Youth being able to feel empowered and to know that there's someone there if they need help or if they need someone to talk to or if they need free lunch. I love that you said you've become the person that you needed, basically. Yeah. Like when you were younger, you needed an older Melanie to say, you're not in this by yourself, and if you need help, there's help. Yeah. And now, hopefully, people who are enduring experiences that you have endured, they'll be able to have this older Melanie to say, hey, there's help if you need it. Yeah, I think it took a long time. I love it. For me to realize that like I'm not a bad 
kid. I'm just mm-hmm. going through bad situations. And I've been put in these situations and sometimes I'm going to make mistakes. But I'm a human being and I'm a really good human being. And now working as I'm older, like within violence prevention and like with these youth, sometimes people are saying they're bad kids when at the end of the day, they're not. They're amazing kids. They're beautiful kids and they're worth everything in the entire world. And so was I and so was everyone else I met in the program. And sometimes we're just dealt that bad hand and that's it. It's amazing. I'm glad you have that clarity for other people and for yourself. Yeah, I never got it. I never got it. It took a while. Well, thank you, Mel. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Beautiful spirit. Oh my gosh, my heart, you angels. (laughs) If you are a high school student in Tampa Bay and do not have a stable home, or you know someone in this situation, please contact your social worker about starting right now. This podcast is brought to you by the Humana Foundation, Hillsborough Education Foundation, and WEDU. If you are listening and want to donate a service or funding, please contact info at startingrightnow.org.